Today, as I'm sure you're all aware, is Mother's Day. Declared an official holiday in 1914 by President Woodrow Wilson, Hallmark has since run with it. Cards, flowers, candies, perhaps even jewelry given in celebration. At the same time, almost completely ignoring the pain the day brings to a good bit of the population. Women unable to bear children, women who lost their children or children who lost their mothers, don't know their mothers, were abused by them. And this day is all well and good as we are told in scripture to honor our parents, including our mother, but one that perhaps we need to realize or acknowledge that there's not just one view about it. And perhaps we also need to realize or acknowledge Mother's Day today has strayed from what the original organizers pushed for when making it this holiday. In the United States, the origins of Mother's Day dates back to 1870, when Julia Ward Howe worked to establish a Mother's Peace Day. You may recognize her name as she is the one who wrote the lyrics to the hymn, Battle Hymn of the Republic in 1861. Nine years later, she dedicated a day in celebration to the eradication of war and organized festivities in Boston for years. Others picked up on this campaign and pushed it even further, in a sense, though it lost the original meaning from the start. For here is Howe's proclamation that she wrote in 1870, which she explains in her own impassioned words, the goals for the original holiday. Arise, all women who have hearts, whether your baptism be that of water or of tears. Say firmly, we will not have great questions decided by irrelevant agencies, or husbands shall not come to us reeking with carnage for caresses and applause. Our son shall not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have been able to teach them of charity and mercy and patience. We women of one country will be too tender of those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injure theirs. From the bosom of the devastated earth, a, a voice goes up with our own. It says, disarm, disarm. The sword is not the balance of justice. Blood does not wipe out dishonor nor violence indicate possession. As men have often forsaken the plow and the anvil at the summons of war, let women now leave all that may be left of home for a great earnest day of counsel. Let them meet first as women to bewail and commemorate the dead. Let them then solemnly take counsel with each other as the means whereby the great human family can live in peace. Each learning after his own time the sacred impress not of Caesar, but of God. In the name of womanhood and of humanity, I earnestly ask that a general congress of women without limit of nationality 
be appointed and held at some place deemed most convenient and at the earliest period consistent with its ob objects to promote the alliance of the different nationalities, the amicable settlement of international questions, the great and general interests of peace. Here, how is calling for women, for really everyone, to make a choice? She's saying, will you choose life or will you choose death? Will you choose war, destruction, carnage, death? Or will you choose peace, health, mercy, life? She says, for all women who have hearts, sons, the devastated earth, for men, for all women and humanity, choose. And in our scripture readings today, we get this sense of choice as well if we compare the two. In our Acts reading today, we see that they chose death. They chose to stone Stephen for the words that he spoke when he preached the truth of Christ about the prophets and the scriptures. It angered them so much that they picked up stones and they hurled it at him until scripture tells us he fell asleep, but essentially they killed him. We see stones in a different way in our first Peter reading this morning. We see stones aren't used towards death and destruction, but towards life, as we're called to be living stones built up together. Christ is called the living stone, the cornerstone, and we are called to be built up as living stones into that, to the spiritual house, the holy priesthood. So, in a sense, this morning, too, our scriptures remind us, as well as Kyle's words, that we have a choice to choose life or death, to be the stones picked up and hurled, or to be living stones. But our choice isn't just about death and war and destruction versus peace and life, but our choice is essentially, as Peter tells us, our whole identity. We don't just choose life or death, but we choose to be living stones built up together, encompassing our whole being, not just this choice we make once or twice, but this choice we make every day to be built up to the spiritual house. Because it is, if we take our faith serious, not just when it's convenient, but if we take it serious every day, this is our identity. And we see just how serious Stephen took his faith. It wasn't just when it was convenient for him, but even following after Christ to the point of death. Taking our faith seriously, living into this call of royal priesthood, of being a holy nation, a chosen race, means we too have to be willing to live out such a faith, speaking truth to Christ always. 
as Stephen spoke the truth about the prophets, the scriptures of Christ. To be built up into the spiritual house, though, also means that it's not just me or you, but these stones, right? There's multiple stones. We have to be built up together. Everybody plays a part. Presbyterians especially believe in the priesthood of all believers, that there's no hierarchical structure like in the Roman Catholic Church. But rather, we, are all, we all have a place and a call. No one is closer to God than anyone else. Me, as a pastor, I don't have any special powers or special connection to God. My prayers aren't heard any more than your prayers are heard. So it means that it takes more than one person to build and sustain this living house. Christ is our cornerstone, but it takes all of us together to be built up into the spiritual house. We are living stones together. While it is Christ who supports us, we are all needed to build up Christ's church. Our identity in Christ and in God means our whole life, our whole story as well, points to Jesus, points to the love of God, everything that we do, from the little things to the big things, from holding the door for someone rather than slamming it in their face, to speaking kind words that build up rather than tear down, also bigger things, forgiving others even when they wrong us. Did you hear Stephen's last words? Asking the Lord not to hold their sins against them while they're hurling stones at him? Perhaps it says how we spend our money as well, in both life and in death, if we take our faith, our call, our identity serious, we in a sense put our money where our mouth is. Tithing, certainly, but also how we spend it otherwise. What products do we purchase? What organizations do we support, both locally and globally? How do we share our identity and be witnesses as living stones? There was an article posted in the Presbyterian Mission Agency a few years ago. It told a story of a woman named Matilda Cartledge. Now, I will admit, the main reason that this article was written up is that she left over $2 million to the Presbyterian Mission Agency to be used for Presbyterian disaster assistance and the self-development of people. But after reading about her life, this woman should be honored even if she didn't leave this two million dollars. For Matilda Cartledge understood what it meant to be a living stone and to live into her identity in Christ. For many years she taught biology at a college in Kentucky that was both well regarded and tuition free to help serve the students in uh, primarily the southern part of Appalachia. Before that, she taught religion at colleges in Jackson, Mississippi, and Maryville, Tennessee. But she truly had a heart for helping people, with perhaps one of the causes so heavily captured in her heart and passion 
was a movement to help people from political repression in Central America. In the 1980s, both her and her sister were so very interested in helping people get out of Nicaragua. This passion and involvement, though, stretched back at least as far as her early adulthood, beginning in uh, World War II, where she worked on a Red Cross ship in the Pacific Ocean. Her ship followed Allied forces, lending aid to recently liberated internees and prisoners of war who had been held captive. Her cousin describes her in this way. She was always a brilliant, caring person with a wonderful, delicious sense of humor. She always lived beyond herself up until the very end. When her health was deteriorating, she was still reaching out to others. She had a lust for life that lasted until the end. She was born and raised a Presbyterian, going to church every week, faithfully following God's call, and seriously living into her identity, into a living stone. While she was never a mother, she certainly modeled Julia Ward Howe's call to choose peace and to choose life. She answered Christ's call to come and follow, and she found her place among many other living stones to be built up together, not just into a spiritual house, but truly into the kingdom of God. And in life and in death, her story points to the love of God in Christ Jesus, and we give thanks for the workings of the Spirit. Still today, our identity, our story is still unfolding every little bit of it. And as best we can, we are to strive to be those living stones. Certainly none is without fault, and we will stumble, we will make mistakes. But ultimately, our story should be able to point to Christ in every way. Those around us, from those closest to us to those who barely know us, should be able to tell the difference by how we live, by all that we do. That we don't follow the gods and idols of this world, but truly our heart is after God and what God desires. Living a life that reflects and shines the marvelous light of Christ wherever we go. We choose peace, we choose mercy and grace, we choose life, we choose God. Amen.